I'd like you to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 10, please. Luke chapter 10. I'd like to speak to you um, about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, sometimes when you say that, a lot of folk will think, oh, I know that story. I'll just have a little bit of a nod, a little bit of a sleep. So will you please make sure that if this person next to you falls asleep, you will shout in their ear loudly, the rapture. <laughs> Not the rupture, the rapture. And make them think they may have missed it. Um, I've been known to nod off while I'm watching television and my wife gets very angry with me if it's my programme and not hers and I get an elbow in the side. So come on, if anybody nods off, we'll let know. Please don't think, well, I know that. You know, we, can, we should never, ever say we know a portion of Scripture. Never, ever. Because we can read it one day and we just read the story, but the next time we read it, God can speak to us. So I hope, hopefully, what I'm going to share will be challenging Someone said to me after the first service, I'd never heard it like that before. Well, I wasn't, intimid- I was pleased because he was thinking about it and that, so hopefully that will be helpful. So you should have found Luke 10 by now, so let me read. On verse 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down on the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So, so, sorry, um, sorry, so too, a Levite came to the place and saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his Wounds pouring oil and wine. Then he put in the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I need to pray. Father, we ask you now to help us not only understand your word, that's fairly easy, but the application of your word is where we need your Holy Spirit's help. Speak to us, I pray. Amen. Amen. The term Good Samaritan is very much part of our, I know there's so many international visitors here, but in our country, the term Good Samaritan is well known. In fact, anybody who does you a good deed that says a Good Samaritan. So if your neighbour's car won't start, you go out and give his car a push. Um, He might say, well, thank you for being a Good Samaritan. Uh, A lot of folk out there aren't sure whether it's the Bible or Shakespeare, the story. But it, it comes from the scripture here, the story that Jesus told. I'd like to spend not so much time looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan itself, but the reason that Jesus told the story. Now, Jesus did not go around just telling stories. 
He didn't suddenly think to himself, here's a crowd, I'll tell a story. There was always a reason, there was always a purpose. It was to explain, it was to teach, and um, so the parables were a typical uh, understanding of that. So we need to understand why he told this story so then we can have a full understanding of what the story was to achieve. Now, if you come away from this just with the thought, I've got to be a good neighbour to the people who are my neighbours, well, that in itself is good. But you don't need this parable to tell you that. You should be doing that because you're a good Christian. And so there must be a little bit more to this story than just being a good neighbour. So let's have a look at it. It started off very simply. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, first of all, the person who starts this story for us is an expert in the law. Now, that wasn't in commercial law or in conveyancing or uh, whatever. He was an expert in the law of God, the law of Moses. So his task was to study the Scripture, the Old Testament Scriptures, come to an understanding of what God expected, and then he would offer his advice. So for example, if you wanted to make a journey on the Sabbath, you could ask him, can I make this journey on the Sabbath? And he would make some calculations with regards to distance and time and say, no, you can't, or yes, you can. If you wanted to have a certain foods at a meal and you weren't sure whether the law of Moses allowed it, you give him the menu and he will be able to tell you whether those items can all be on the menu. So he knew his Bible. It would be more than that, but he would be an expert in the law. So he is not a new convert. He's not new. He's not just someone. He had some position. He was quite confident there. It says that he stood up. So it wasn't a quiet word whispering along the row. He stood up. He addressed Jesus, he called him rabbi. And then he asked him this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, you would wonder that someone who knew the scriptures as he did still didn't know the answer. May I just say this? It's not what you know, it's who you know that makes you a Christian. This man had an understanding of the Old Testament at least, far superior than, than I certainly have got, I've no doubt about that, um, in that way. And yet with all his Bible knowledge, with all his religious life, with all his advising other people how they should live, and hope, I'm sure he sought to live by them himself, he still didn't have an understanding, have an assurance of eternal life. In fact, he uses the word inherit eternal life. He thought that this was something that he would receive at the end of his life, that he would live his life, he would keep the laws, he'd keep all the instructions, and then in death he would inherit eternal life. This was probably a picture going back to Israel, who inherited the promised land from God. It was God's land, it was a promise to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and they, would in, they inherited the promised land. That's why in Hebrews it talks about the rest for the people of God. Now our rest... Our promised land is not a geographical place. It's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So I'm not planning on making any trips anywhere. I've arrived with Jesus. That is sufficient for me. And so he wants to know what he must do to inherit eternal life. He thought that eternal life was something that began at death. Even that isn't correct. And hopefully I'll be able to share about that in a moment. So that's the background. He's religious 
He's, I'm not saying he's a bad man by any means, but for all his religion, for all his knowledge of Scripture, he's had no assurance. And that's the big word, no assurance of eternal life. He couldn't say, what must I do to inherit? When my father passed away, and then later my mother passed away, my sister and I inherited. It came to us, our inheritance from that. And he had this idea that if he continued, if he kept the law, if he did as he was told, then something later would be given to him. Jesus now begins to speak to the man to correct that understanding. May I repeat it again? Not because you are not clever, but it needs to be repeated. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Some of you have a very good understanding maybe of the Bible, but it's not what you know, it's who you know. So let's see how the conversation goes. Um, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replies, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So Jesus very graciously turns the man back to his place of expertise. In other words, he didn't say to him, tell me about physics or science or soccer, because there was no football then. If it was, I'd be an expert in football. I know everything about football. Um, You're not convinced, are you? (laughs) Well, let me just tell you, I support Derby County and Queen's Park Rangers. I'm an expert. Let me tell you, I've cried more to... Anyway, moving on. (laughs) He doesn't ask the man to go into an area where he would be embarrassed or he would expose some weakness. He says, okay, you're an expert in the law. You tell me what the law says. What does the law say? Well, it says, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Please note, there were four things he mentioned, but in Matthew, there's three... And in the Old Testament verses he's quoting, there were only three, but four are mentioned here. I don't know what it means. Maybe one day I'll try and find out. But he comes to him and love your neighbour as yourself. Now, that wasn't a sign of great revelation. I don't stand back and applaud him because every Jew repeated those words every morning and evening. So in their devotions, they would repeat Almost like the Lord's Prayer. Some of you may say the Lord's Prayer daily. Fine, that's up to you, you know. Um, But um, they would repeat these words. So it was very easy for him to come in. He was quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and he was also quoting from Leviticus 19. He brought, brought the two verses together and that was repeated. So it was a very small step. He didn't have to think about it. He didn't have to pray about it. It was very familiar to him. Now, Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Wow, fancy getting a tick in your school book from Jesus. What does the law say? But Jesus was even more gracious to him. He actually said to them, how do you read it? In other words, he sent them, look, what's your interpretation? How do you understand Scripture? How gracious? What does the law say? How do you... Read it. What's your understanding of Scripture? He's trying to encourage this man to think. I say theologically. Yeah, I think that's what he's trying to do. Make him think about the words that he's saying. And he comes out and he says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbour as yourself. Jesus said, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. So he actually said to the man, if you do those things, then you will live. 
you'll have eternal life, everlasting life, if you do these things. Now, what should have happened is the man should have said, I've tried to do it and I've not succeeded. The man should have said to Jesus, Jesus, I've been spending my life trying to do that and I still don't have eternal life. Because Jesus said, if you do it, you'll have eternal life. He'd said, I don't have eternal life. Therefore, he can't have been doing it. And Jesus said, do it and you shall live. And you'd have hoped, you would have hoped that this man would have said, teacher, call him rabbi, whatever you there. I've tried to love God with all my heart and I just can't do it. I've tried to love my neighbour, but have you heard how loud they have that music on? Have you seen how they park across my driveway? How can I love my neighbour? I've tried, Jesus. I can't do it. I've tried to do it and I can't do that. And Jesus would have said, yes, you can't. That's why you need my mercy and my forgiveness. But he didn't because religion goes very deep into people's hearts. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And verse 29 is the spark for the parable of the Good Samaritan. He says this, but wanting to justify himself, he said, who is my neighbour? Friends, he didn't tell the parable to identify who his neighbour was. And some of you won't agree with this. That's not a problem. You can disagree and go back and look at the scripture. I want you to. It was he wanted to justify himself. Even after all that Jesus had said, he said, who is my neighbour? Seeking to justify himself, who is my neighbour? And I'm flabbergasted. Was he saying that if you identify who my neighbour is, then I can love my neighbour as myself and then I have eternal life? There was no sense of retreat in the man. He was still believing that it's possible to love God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbours yourself. He felt it was within reach. And of all the questions he could have asked Jesus, he said, who's my neighbour? Is it the person now, where I live, I live in Derby. You'll know it as Derby Nil. Uh, but um, <laughs> thank you, that was good. One for the boys, right? Um, that uh, I have no neighbours in front of me. No, we look over a road and there's a field there, although they're going to build 225 houses on it soon. Never mind. But I have neighbours on this side. I don't have any neighbours. I have neighbours behind me. So if I ask the question, who is my neighbour? Is it the house next to me? Is it two doors away? The street? The postcode? And he's coming in, he's saying, who, who is my neighbour? Now the rabbis taught, Lightfoot, who was a scholar of a previous age, that said that the, um, the Jews believed that only Jews were their neighbours, that Gentiles weren't their neighbours. They're just not there. So he says, who is my neighbour? Is it the house next to me? Two houses, three houses, the postcode? Who is my neighbour? And then Jesus begins to tell the parable. And this parable is absolute dynamite. 
at a quick reading, you think it means let's be nice to people. And it does. And help people. But you do it because you're a Christian. This parable might help, but you miss the point. The parable begins. He wanted to justify himself. And that brought the parable. Because you see, friends, sorry, you can't justify yourself. You can't. Some of you here are a lot holier than I am, but even the holiest person here isn't justified. You can give poor, you can help. Please, if you're giving and you're helping charities, please carry on. Be kind, do good works. Please, you do all of those things, but don't think it's going to get you eternal life. I remember when I was a lot younger, saying to my mother, do you think I'll go to heaven? Which was a bit dangerous, really. And she said, if you're good enough. And in that moment, any thought of eternal life went out the window. Because <laughs> I wasn't good. I know you're shocked to think I might be anything other than perfect, but I was a very naughty child and teenager. If you're good enough. And in that moment, and she meant well, she was brought up that way. That if you're good, you go to heaven. If you're bad, you don't. That was how she was brought up and how, etc. And Jesus turned to this man who wanted to justify himself. And that was anathema to Jesus. His whole purpose of coming to this earth was because men and women can't justify themselves. So the parable continues. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. We assume he was a Jewish person because he was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to come down the same road and when he saw the man pass by on the other Side. So a Levite too, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. Both of these men, Jesus identified two groups of people. He identified the priests and the Levites. Now, because they were actually part of God's plan. In the Old Testament, Aaron's descendants became the priesthood. Levites' descendants became the Levites. So these were two groups. They weren't little sects. They were actually God-given ministries that God gave as being the spiritual leadership of the nation. And out of the priest, there was the high priest, etc. So these two groups were held in highest position. The Pharisees were not a God-installed Group. The Pharisees started somewhere between the Old Testament and the New Testament because when you finish your Old Testament, there's no Pharisees. When you start your New Testament, they're everywhere. <laughs> now, they weren't a God-given group. They, were a, they formed as a, a, a sort of a reforming group to bring Israel back to the Word of God. But like so many groups that start off well, they turned into religion and judgmental spirit. Another story, Jesus didn't have a lot of good to say about them. So the groups that he, he didn't say a Pharisee was going down the road because he had, he had no truck with the Pharisees. He didn't say the scribes. He didn't say this. He didn't even say, you know, um, the uh, experts in the law. 
He picked the two highest groups, the most honoured groups in Israel, priests and Levites, because they served in the temple. The temple was the place where the presence of God was. That's where the altar was. That's where the sacrifices took place. In theory, they should have been the most spiritual men in Israel. And the priest walked by on the other side. And the Levite walked by on the other side. And what Jesus was saying is this, those men did not have eternal life because they walked past on the other side. Jesus was saying, it doesn't matter even the position you hold. You can be a priest and a Levite and if you don't conduct yourself according to God's Word, it means nothing. People have very kindly called me pastor. But the minute I stop pastoring, I stop being a pastor. That's probably why I'm resisting retirement so much. I don't want, I don't want the title. I couldn't be, you can call me anything you want as long as it's not late for dinner. You know. <laughs> but that whole ministry. And so he comes and the priest walks by on the other side. And the man must have been shocked. He thought, what a low opinion of the priest you have. And then the Levite came by and maybe the man thought, oh, please don't, may, oh, may he stop. And he didn't stop. And then if things weren't bad, a Samaritan turns up. Now, the Samaritans were, they were, they were almost like Manchester United supporters. <laughs> now, if Pastor Collins watching, he, he does do this just to make sure I don't speak for too long. Um, he's a Manchester United supporter, so um, I shows you how I do not fear man. <laughs> There's a lot of women I'm frightened of, but no man. So he comes and he puts, and along comes the Samaritan, the last person this man wanted. The Samaritans were mixed race. Now, I need to be very delicate today in this, you know, PC world. They were mixed race. The Jews didn't like them. Religiously, they didn't like them because they didn't worship in Jerusalem. They worshipped on a mountain. If you remember the story of the woman at the well. And they were a mixed race and they just weren't, they weren't proper Jews. And so they were despised. Jews would sometimes walk around Samaria rather than go through it, because they even thought if they walked through the place, they'd be contaminated. That's why Jesus went into Samaria. Do you know what? Jesus can't catch anything from a sinner. Can't, he loves sinners. He can't catch a thing from them. You can't catch anything from somebody else. Your own heart can do the destruction. You don't need anybody else's help, do you? No, Gordon. All right, I thought we'd just speed things up there. So they came and the man is thinking, oh no, the priest, Aaron's sons walk past. And then the Levites walk past. Aaron, the Levite's sons walk past. And then, oh no, not a Manchester United supporter. Not a Samaritan. Surely not. Please let him walk past. And he didn't. He stopped. He poured in oil and wine. He put the man on his donkey and he took him to an inn and then he put his hand in his pocket for two silver coins. And silver in scripture always speaks of redemption, but that's a study for a, a rainy Sunday evening maybe on that one. He 
picked up the Samaritan, who was unacceptable. The priest, forget it. The Levite, forget it. It's not what you do. It's who you know. And the Samaritan came. And what's even more exciting, I believe Jesus is our good Samaritan. This can be preached many ways. Because Gordon Neal one day realised that he had been beaten up and he was unacceptable. And Jesus stopped and he washed me and he put me on his donkey and he put me in a church where I would be cared for. And well, here I am today because of my good Samaritan, who is Jesus who is unacceptable to so many out there. Millions of people just laugh at his name. But he never passes us by. He can't do it. And if you've come as a visit and you find yourself in need and you don't know what's happening and you feel you've been mugged by life, let me tell you now, the good Samaritan's on his way. And when he comes, well, what will he do? Well, the answer is quite simple. The question is now asked to the man. He asked Jesus a question. Jesus is going to ask him one now. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man that fell into the hands of robbers? He couldn't bring him to say the Samaritan. He said, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. You see, you always know when Jesus is about because mercy flows. I hope you're merciful. I hope you're not keeping somebody dangling. Oh, they did something wrong. They let you down. They did something. And they're just waiting for you to offer them mercy and say, you're forgiven. It's all right. Don't worry. Let's move on. Because that's what Jesus does for us. He doesn't wait for, I don't inherit eternal life when I die. I have eternal life now. All that's going to happen is a funeral. And none of you are invited. I'm not feeding all of you. <laughs> and none of the NLT of Elam are coming because they'll only claim the expenses. So no, I'm not having... In fact, there's got to be very few at it. The wife and the dog. <laughs> and that'll be it. And I'm not even sure I'll let him come, you know. But you know, mercy. If anybody needs mercy from you, will you give it to them, please? Please give them mercy. You've received it, haven't you? Well, God, you don't know what they did. Would you like Jesus to tell me all your sins? Oh, no. Well, let's call it a quits then. I don't ask about your sins if you forgive them. If you're merciful to them. And the expert on the law said, the one who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said these words. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. He should have said, I can't do that. That's beyond me. I've been brought up in a different world. He should have said, Jesus, I can't do these things. I couldn't do them before you told the parable. And I'm even more convinced now after the parable, I can't do them. If the priests aren't acceptable, if the Levites aren't acceptable, if religion and all that background of history and robes and religion and all the paraphernalia that went with that couldn't get these priests and Levites to be kind to a man in need. What hope have I? Is there another way, Jesus? And he just said, there is, son. Listen to this. I'm the good Samaritan. I show mercy. 
I forgive. Even though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. As your sins um, will be put behind me, never more to remember. Your sins will be as far as the east is from the west. God knows how to deal with sin. Your sin does not intimidate God. He knows what to do. He went to the cross. He died for it so he can show us mercy. And if that didn't you good this morning, you're in trouble. He showed mercy. Who is the one who was a good neighbour? The one who showed mercy. And Jesus is my neighbour. He didn't walk past. When others were saying, that boy's finished. Jesus said, I'll tell you what I'll do. A bit of oil, a bit of wine, a bit of care. Stick him on my donkey and we'll sort him out. And he did it because he loved me. He went to the cross to die for me. The silver coins were redemption that he purchased upon the cross. And he's there. But in the parable, he said one thing, and I'm just about to finish. You've listened ever so well. He said to the innkeeper, look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any expense you may have had. You see, when we come to Christ, he doesn't only deal with the present. He secures our future. He said to the innkeeper, look after him. And when I return, God looks after our future as well as our presence. Now, you've listened ever so well. I'm, that wasn't very uplifting. I know that. Forgive me. Well, maybe another time we'll send you home with a skip, you know. Maybe you need the mercy of God. Maybe you've been trying to love God with all your heart and with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul. Maybe you've tried to love your neighbours yourself and you say, Gordon, I've tried it. I can't do it. Good. Well done. That's the right answer. You can't do it. And you don't have to do it because Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins. Does it mean that if you become a Christian, you, you don't have to be kind to people? Of course you do. Does it mean that if I become a Christian, I don't have to do good works? You do them all the more, but you do them not to get, you do them because you've received. So maybe this morning, you would like to become a Christian. You're going to have to put all the good works, forget it. You say, but I, I've been to church. I've been listening to R.T. Kendall week after week. Even that won't get you into heaven. It really won't. Sorry, you didn't smile then. That was humour, <laughs> by the way. You know, I'm not interested in what you've done, whether good or bad. I'm not interested whether you've been a good person or a bad person because all I know is this. The good Samaritan is the one who showed mercy.